Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Listen now for the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so I may also go and pay him homage." When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star. There it is. That they had seen in the east until it had stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child Mary with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I spent a lot of time thinking about this passage and its central question this week. The primary conflict of the passage is this. What do you do... When you meet Jesus, when you see Jesus for who he is, how do you respond? I think a lot of church history and world history also hinges on this question. At any given time, there are at least three Jesuses in question. First, there is the Jesus of Scripture, and the Bible may be a reliable source in matters of instruction and salvation, but it's not a scientific log of Jesus's every waking moment. So we might say that the Jesus of Scripture is sufficient, but not exhaustive. And because the Jesus of Scripture is not exhaustive, we create a second Jesus to fill in the gaps. And the second Jesus in question is the Jesus who lives within our minds. This is the Jesus who most of us are most familiar with. 
This is who we consult with on the great questions of our life that scripture doesn't speak to directly. Sometimes, like a child who doesn't like the answer given by one parent, we run to the Jesus of our minds when we don't like the answers we find in scripture. And so while I think it's very healthy to have a sense of Jesus's inner dwelling, this is the Jesus most susceptible to manipulation. And sometimes this manipulation is externally caused. Having spent time in a variety of church environments, I've seen people leave Christianity because of who they thought Jesus was, rather than the Jesus of Scripture. It takes one bad sermon to poison the Jesus of the mind. And so we are susceptible to turning the Jesus of our mind into an enabling yes man on one hand, just as easily as turning him into a caricature villain on the other hand. So we have the Jesus of scripture, the Jesus of our mind, and finally, Jesus as he really is. This is the Jesus whose life and work live beyond the pages of scripture. This is the surprising Jesus who we encounter sometimes despite our best efforts to avoid him. This is the Jesus whose presence provides peace when the words of scripture ring hollow. This is the Jesus whose love empowers us when the religion we were raised in seems dead. This is the Jesus beyond our control and beyond our comprehension. So at any given time, there are three Jesuses in the room, not literally, figuratively. And in today's scripture, we see this dynamic playing out with two different parties. First, we'll look at the Magi, and then Herod. Now, the Magi must have heard about the Messianic prophecies among the Jews when they started traveling toward Jerusalem, because they, they must not have heard about Herod's reputation for quashing dissent by any means necessary. What we have is a group of foreigners approaching a paranoid Jewish leader and asking him if he's heard about the baby who's meant to be his replacement. Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. We have not come to pay you homage, but this baby who you must know about, right? You, the self-styled king of the Jews. I imagine Herod tried to play it cool, sent them out of the room until he could confer with his staff. And after learning that scripture says a ruler will rise out of Bethlehem, Herod invites the Magi back in and says, go to Bethlehem and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I might also go and pay him homage. At this point, we know the Magi, sometimes called wise men, are a bit dense. And so they take Herod at his word and become his emissaries in a royally commissioned bounty hunt. They are to find the baby king and notify Herod of his whereabouts. Returning to our threefold Jesus, the Magi, from the beginning of their journey, have been driven by the Jesus of their minds. Not even aware of his name, the thought of who Jesus might be has driven them into a foreign land at great effort and personal expense. 
They believe in the promise of who Jesus is even before learning from Herod that scripture confirms this promise. And so their first encounter of the Jesus of scripture is through the Old Testament prophecy. They have heard from the Jewish ruler that God's prophets, now long dead, promised this ruler who would shepherd Israel. So far, the Jesus of their mind and the Jesus of Scripture are identical. Their journey has led them to the current ruler of the Jews, and this ruler has, in some sense, confirmed their idea of who Jesus is. And it is in this momentum that they follow a star until it stops over the place where Jesus resides. It's important at this point to take a moment and unpack a few historical details. In the Western tradition, the Magi have gone by many names. Three kings, the wise men, and sometimes the astrologers. This last translation is significant because whatever else we might say about the Magi, they were committed astrologers. Not the type to dispassionately read their horoscopes in the New York Times, no. They were ready to stake their entire futures and livelihoods on what they believed the stars were signifying. And so we should not miss the profound irony that it is astrology that leads them to Jesus. Please don't hear this as a biblical endorsement of astrology because it isn't. Instead, it is an example of God meeting the faithful where they are using symbols and sacred practices that are meaningful to those searching for God, and transcending the limitations of man-made religion to facilitate an encounter with the living God. This baby Jesus who the Magi search for is, in fact, the God of the stars. This Jesus gives the stars their meaning and sets them on their course, but significantly, this Jesus doesn't ask his followers to depend on the stars and planets for guidance or love or protection. No, Jesus asks only that you come to him, and that is exactly what the Magi have done. Matthew continues the story, saying that the Magi set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen in the east until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. In the Greek, it reads that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. On entering the house, they saw the child Mary with his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage. And once again, the Greek reveals more than our translation. The verb translated here as paid homage is used by Matthew three other times, and in every instance, it is translated as, they worshipped him. The first people to ever worship Jesus, to ever kneel before him in prostration, were foreigners who worshipped foreign gods. They were people who had an idea of who Jesus might be, of what his coming into the world might mean, and they let this idea drive them into unknown territory. 
It brought them into the presence of a murderous king who ironically opened the scripture to them and confirmed everything they believed about Jesus. And finally, it was these astrologers who followed a star, overcome with divine joy, that would offer gifts fit for a king to the infant Jesus. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It seems unlikely that the Magi would have usually kept these things on them during their travels, and so it follows that the Magi were prepared to meet someone very special when they set off for Jesus. They were probably less prepared to meet the king of the Jews in a backwater town some five miles outside the religious capital of Jerusalem. And so, like every believer after them, they experienced the cognitive dissonance that characterizes the life of faith. The Jesus of their mind, the Jesus of Scripture, and the actual Jesus were all a bit different. I can imagine them entering the home, not quite sure if this is the right place, seeing Mary and Joseph dressed as commoners, surrounded by extended family instead of servants and maids. And yet this new family opened their home to these strange magi. They let these strange men near their baby to worship him. And if that wasn't enough, they gave gifts completely useless to an infant. It would have been like coming to the birthday of a toddler with a scepter or a jewel-encrusted crown. This all must have been very, very strange. But this is a picture of what saying yes to Jesus looks like. Not who you want him to be or expect him to be, but who he is. This is a picture of the joy we receive when we come to know Jesus as he really is. The basic posture of the Magi upon meeting Jesus is one of gratitude, worship, and giving. The astrologers unknowingly lay the blueprint for Christian discipleship before Jesus has preached his first sermon. We would do well to heed their example without all the astrology stuff. Let's turn back to Herod. Herod would have been well aware of the whispers of the coming Jewish Messiah in his day. Second Temple Jewish society enjoyed a steady stream of claims to Messiahship, and so rulers like Herod would have been very familiar with these types of rumors and threats to power. Herod was an especially paranoid and vicious ruler who was known to kill members of his own family if it meant maintaining order and control. So when he receives the Magi and learns of the rival king whose coming is announced by an astral event, we can understand why he might be worried. Even before he checks with his chief priests and scribes, he has already begun to form an idea of who Jesus is in his mind. Jesus is someone whose significance is testified to by the stars in the heavens. Jesus is someone whose magnetism pulls in the outsider and brings them toward him. His lordship redefines lordship. As an infant, he is called king and worshipped with gifts, without speaking a single word, fighting a single battle, 
or defeating a single enemy, he wins followers. His leadership is witnessed to by scripture written hundreds of years before his birth. Jesus is a threat to Herod, and Herod knows it. The Jesus of Herod's mind is quickly confirmed by the Jesus of Scripture as his chief priests and scribes find that he will be born in Bethlehem and he will grow up to govern the people of Israel. It's clear that Herod, though king of the Jews, has not spent much time studying Hebrew Scripture because Herod immediately sets himself up against the prophets. This is obviously a profoundly foolish mistake as a failure to heed the warning of prophets is found throughout the Old Testament with dire results. Herod's paranoia and desperate grasping for power is an illustration of our own rejection of God. We are Herod in this story. We are not the Magi. We, sitting here in this church this morning, are the inheritors of an untold depth of knowledge about God. That is... We have Bibles in every single pew who tell us who God is and how not to set ourselves against him. And yet most of us don't even open our Bibles when we are at church. We are the modern rulers of religion in our community. That is, we attend a well-resourced church. We sit on committees that control the resources of this church. And we, who are members, have the power to use those resources for good. And finally, we are the power-hungry who sit grasping for control. We are afraid of letting Jesus replace us as the leaders of our community, of our church, and of our lives. We are afraid of letting go, and so like Herod, we send others in our place to see what Jesus is like up close. Because it's easier to support organizations doing good than to do that good work ourselves. It's less frightening to hear stories of God's subversive work in our community than it is to be a part of that subversive work. We would prefer to keep things the way they are. Herod knew, and we know, that meeting Jesus as he really is would change everything. We would no longer be able to hide behind the Jesus of our mind or the Jesus of Scripture we would be forced to reconcile our faith with our experience. We would be forced to measure our life and the life of our church in a completely new way. But if we're being honest, most of us don't want this. We, like Herod, are comfortable. But comfort is not a fruit of the Spirit. Herod has formulated an idea of who Jesus is in his mind, This idea has been confirmed by Scripture, and now, instead of approaching Jesus in the flesh and seeing what he's really like, Herod sends the wise men, telling them, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I might too come and worship him. The latter half of chapter 2 shows this to be a lie. Instead, Herod calls for all male children under a certain age to be killed thus eliminating any threat to his kingship. But it doesn't work. The story ends with Herod dying and failing to upset God's plan for Jesus. So that's the choice for us as well. We can respond to Jesus with discipleship like the Magi, or we can avoid Jesus and remain comfortable until we die like Herod. 
at great personal cost and discomfort, we can respond to the Lordship of Jesus with joy, worship, and giving, or we can spend the rest of our numbered days as the rulers of our kingdom. We can seek to experience Jesus as he really is, or we can remain copacetic, with Jesus not much more than a story in a book or a pleasant thought in our mind. Herod's life and death is a warning to us. We cannot rely on the Jesus of our mind and the Jesus of Scripture. We must be willing to meet him in our lives and experience him as he really is. We cannot be afraid of forfeiting control, as this is the only way to meet Jesus as Lord. We cannot rely on our religion, our standing in the community, or even our ability to manipulate the world around us through our power, we must be willing to receive God as he gives himself over to us, even as an infant, even on a cross. It was Jesus who hung on a cross that we might have eternal comfort. It was Jesus who spent 40 days in the desert being tempted that we might be delivered from temptation. And it was Jesus who did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. My prayer is that we would have the courage to choose discomfort. We would have the boldness to surrender control. And that we would have the faith to experience the presence of Jesus in every realm of our lives. Jesus longs to give us new life. He is eager to lead his church. All he asks is for you to follow him. Amen.